This morning we're going to be reading from Joshua chapter 4. Uh, so it's a different passage of scripture that's on your bulletin there. But if you have a Bible, go ahead and open there. I'm going to have it on the screen as well. Joshua chapter 4. When the whole nation had finished crossing the Jordan, the Lord said to Joshua, Choose twelve men from among the people, one from each tribe, and tell them to take twelve stones from the middle of the Jordan, from right where the priests are standing, and carry them over with you, and put them down at the place where you stay tonight. So Joshua called together the twelve men he had appointed from the Israelites, one from each tribe, and he said to them, Go over before the ark of the Lord, your God, into the middle of the Jordan. Each of you is to pick up a stone on his shoulder according to the number of the tribes of the Israelites to serve as a sign among you. In the future, when your children ask you, what do these stones mean? Tell them that the flow of the Jordan was cut off before the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord when it crossed the Jordan. The waters of the Jordan were cut off, and these stones are to be a memorial to the people of Israel forever." So the Israelites did as Joshua commanded them. They took the 12 stones from the middle of the Jordan, according to the number of the tribes of the Israelites, as the Lord had told Joshua, and they carried them over with them to their camp where they put them down. And Joshua set up the 12 stones that had been in the middle of the Jordan at the spot where this priest who had carried the Ark of the Covenant had stood, and they are there to this day. Would you pray with me as we... Uh, go into our our sermon today. God, we are so grateful uh, for your word and uh, the stories that are told here, the the reminding of what you've done in the lives of your people and how you've shown up. God, may we um, really answer this question that we've been considering in this series uh, to uh, to really want you more than anything else, uh, to desire you, to to follow you, um, to obey you. And so may the, the words that uh, we hear today, may um, the things that you've put on my heart to share, may they be a blessing to us. Uh, we pray this in the name of Jesus, our Savior. Amen. Um, this series has been focused on a passage in the Gospels, um, both in John 10, when Jesus talks about uh, that he's come to give life and to the full or abundant life, but also in Mark chapter 10, there's this passage um, that says, uh, he's got this blind man who comes to Jesus, and Jesus asks him this question, what is it that you want me to do for you? And so Brian has been kind of focusing on this part of the question, uh, what do you really want? And as we're continuing this series, this series called Fulfilled, I, I want us to look at um, this story in Joshua, because I don't know if you knew this, but Jesus is a Greek name for the name Joshua or Yahshua in Hebrew. And so Jesus probably in his hometown might have been called Yahshua, not Jesus, or, or as we so often call him. And then we often use Jesus Christ, and we say kind of like Lars Coburn in his last name, but Christ is not a last name for Jesus. It's a title, and it's an anointed one, or Messiah in Hebrew. And so um, I want to look at this story from Joshua, because I think it has some tie-ins to how Jesus is now our leader as Joshua was set up as the leader after Moses. So if you remember the text that we just read, you might open up to it in Joshua chapter 4 and just kind of follow along as I 
rehash it for you and just kind of walk you through it. But basically, um, they are crossing into the promised land. They're moving from this wilderness wandering experience. And you might think in your Bible that it's not that far back to the Exodus story when the people come out of Egypt and they're delivered and they cross over the Red Sea. And so this story is very similar because they're walking across on dry ground. The water in this body of water, and this time it's a smaller river, the Jordan River versus the Red Sea, but it's still the same thing. God shows up and the water is stopped and the people are able to pass along on dry ground. I think I might have a, a picture of the Jordan River um, and there's big stones and things. And it makes sense if you've ever tried to ford a river. It's not easy. I often died on the Oregon Trail computer game when I was trying to ford the river rather than going around the long way um, because I was worried about running out of food. But as I think about these hundreds of thousands, 600,000 or even more is the estimated uh, nation of Israel as they come out of Egypt and they wander around in the wilderness for many, many years. And this generation who had seen God show up and part the Red Sea had died. Joshua and Caleb were the only ones left of that generation who had seen that, who were old enough to remember. And so now there's um, this new generation and a new leader. Moses has died, Aaron has died, and who's going to speak for God to the people? Who's going to represent them before God? And so if you read the first few chapters of Joshua, um, you get this kind of call to be strong and courageous, that God is with you, Joshua. You are uh, going to be okay. You're going to be able to lead these people. And then in Joshua chapter 3, um, he's given a command. He says, go and, and get the people ready. Prepare the people for what God is going to do. And so he speaks to them like Moses spoke to the people, and he says, this is what you're supposed to do. And so it's really a story of how the people obey God's command through this leader who's been raised up. Joshua is this leader, and it's confirmed that he's God's leader because God shows up and stops the water. Um, but it's interesting, you know, Moses kind of raised a, a staff, and there was all these kind of signs and wonders through, done by Moses. But in the wilderness wandering, Moses is commanded to build an ark. And this ark or this box or this container is then the symbol of God's presence with the people. Because up until then, they didn't really have a symbol. They had this pillar of fire and this cloud and these amazing miracles happening. But now they have this ark, this container for the divine presence of God with his people. And that's what goes into the river, and that's what stops. And in fact, when the priests leave the river, the water comes back gushing again. It's quite a fascinating uh, story. But in the middle of this story, then, um, between uh, where they get to the promised land, and you might be more familiar with the story of the Jericho battle, um, I remember Veggie Tales, and uh, there's this wall, and for some reason, the peas are always the French guys, and so they have this French accent, and they're singing this song, keep walking, but you own not now our wall, keep walking, but she isn't gonna fall, it's plain to see, your brains are very small, so keep walking. You won't be knocking down our wall. Uh, I'll be spending the next week trying to get that out of my head. But, um, but the story of Jericho is, is fascinating. It's a trust exercise because they have to walk around the wall seven times um, or seven days and then seven times on the seventh day. And they don't raise a, a battle at all. All they do is shout that the Lord is God and then the walls crumble. Um, but I think this story actually maybe is the most important story in Joshua's, the one 
before the wall of Jericho comes down because it's actually the point where Joshua is confirmed as the leader that God has appointed. Up until this point, it's not sure if the nation of Israel is even going to be successful when they cross into the promised land. They had tried once before and they disobeyed God and they were wandering for 40 years. And now uh, some of the people don't remember all the wonders that God has done. And so they, weren't, they didn't see it themselves. All they have is the stories. Um, and so the ark actually is a container that doesn't just contain the, the metaphor, the symbol of God's presence with the people, but it also contains some bread from their wanderings in the wilderness. It contains the staff of Aaron that budded. It contains the tablets of stone that had the law of God on it. We read about in Deuteronomy. Um, and so in this ark, it actually contains some things that went with the people. It was the symbol of God's presence with the people. But you know, um, in the New Testament, we actually read about how we are called the people of God, and there's an analogy that it's not just the Ark of the Covenant, because later in the Bible, we'll see that Jerusalem becomes kind of a container for God's presence, a symbol of God being with the world. And even throughout the rest of the Bible, it seems that Israel, the nation, is a symbol of God's presence, that they're kind of like an Ark, a container to remind the world that God is with them. In Genesis chapter 12, it says um, that God blessed Abraham and said, you're gonna be the way that I'm gonna bless the world. Through you, I'm gonna make you into a nation, and through you, all nations will be blessed. It's like this idea that God was wanting an Ark of the Covenant, a people, a container, to represent his presence, to remind people that he's with them. So in the New Testament, then in Jesus, we're the church is invited to be a holy temple, a royal priesthood, a built into a container, if you will, for God's presence in the world. Um, your, te- your body is the temple of the living God. Or in John, Jesus will say, abide in me and I will abide in you. Um, and the Father will come and will make his home in your heart. And so there's this idea, um, even in Paul's writings, that the mystery of the gospel is that Christ is in you, the hope of glory. God's glory, God's presence will be in you. So I want to just kind of for a moment, for an aside, before we get to the cool, awesome rocks, I want to ask a question. Um, I've got some some things in here. So, Angelia, what do you see inside this container? Golf ball. Okay. So some hobbies. Denise, what do you see in this container? See a coffee cup? Okay. So like um, drinking coffee, good coffee. This is actually is my wife's coffee cup. It says homework zone, caution. Um, so it's for school teaching. Um, what about you, Cyril? Do you see anything in here? What, what do you see inside? You see a dollar. You see money. Okay, yeah. So there's, there's even a bill in here that I probably need to pay. Um, there's some other things. But if you think about your life as a container, um, I, would, I would ask you, what are you putting in your life? What are you bringing into it? Um, are they things worth remembering? Are they things that are going to tell a story about how God is with your people? Um, and so I've got some thoughts in a, in a minute about maybe some ways that we might use things like money or our time in the car. I didn't put my car keys in there, but I was going to put that in there. Uh, we spend a lot of time doing those things. Um, the there's a pin here from our first trip to Disneyland with Ashlyn, and so time with family, um, how we're present with each other. These are actually um, similar to what I'm going to say are the stones that were in the story. So um, Joshua leads the people across, 
And the Ark of the Covenant is still in the middle of the river, and so the river is dry, and there's a lot of river rocks. I don't have 12 of them, but strong guys went into the middle of the river, and they grabbed 12 rocks, one rock for each tribe of Israel, and they carried them over to their campsite. In ancient cultures, there was a lot of sacrifices that were made or altars that were built and to worship their gods. And so you'll read about Abraham making an altar, setting up an altar, or you'll read about Jacob when he uh, is fleeing from his brother Esau. He has this dream of a stairwell to heaven, and he puts the rock that he used as his pillow upright, kind of as a, a memorial, a, a rock. Um, I think about the cathedrals that I've seen in uh, Europe or the castles that stand the test of time. They're tremendous works of art of stone, and they last and last and last, unlike um, some of the houses that we build here in California that don't last and last and last. But so as you think about your container, um, what stones are you going into the river to pick up and saying, I'm going to be intentional about placing this to remind myself of when God showed up. God showed up in the river. Not every generation experienced a Jordan River crossing. But the stones, the writer who recounts this story, the person who's, who's crafting it into what we have now as the book of Joshua in our Bibles, he says, referring back to that time, it's not like eyewitness journalism that we have today, but he's referring back to and saying, hey, those stones you know that you've passed by, the pile of rocks, they mean something. They're still here to this day. What about the things in your container, in your life, are going to stand the test of time to be a witness to how God has shown up in your life? Or think about your own history. Um, maybe in your family you have stories, or even the stories of Scripture. Do you know these stories of, of God delivering the people from Egypt, delivering the people across the Jordan River? Do you know these stories so that you can share with them with the children and the people of future generations to remind them that God is with us. Um, so I have a list of 12 things. I don't have 12 stones, but I have a list of 12 ideas that maybe are container-like things that you put in your container that we can be intentional with. Um, so I'm going to fly through these, and the, the intention here is not that you walk away with 12 stones, Okay because there was only one stone per tribe of Israel. So for you, it might be one of these things stands out. You might say, hey, this is gonna be the thing that I'm remembered. People ask me and say, hey, why do you do this in your life? Why is this stone present? Why is this pile of rocks there? And maybe it's one or two of them that you can adopt. Maybe you're already doing one or two of these and you wanna add one to your life. But here are my 12 stones of intentionality. What if our car time was a, a stone, if you will, a marker of God's presence with us. And by this, I mean, what if we used it intentionally? That when in Los Angeles, we spend a lot of time in the car. And what if we were to be a little bit more intentional? Maybe you have your, your radio on, and instead of just listening to loud music, you sing along. You join together with the other people in the car. Maybe you're riding alone, and so maybe you make phone calls to people that you know and love. Um, maybe you have conversations on the way home from church, uh, about what church was about rather than just zoning out. And so by this, I might right, stress making car time a phone-free zone, right? What if, what if we were known um, by our car time being intentional? Uh, meal time, similar uh, kind of observation here. What if you set aside a meal each week? What if you were a family that when you interacted with others, they said, what is this practice that you're doing? You, you go around the table and you share something you're thankful for once a week. 
Um, or you just make it a phone-free zone, and, and through that, you're able to break into deeper conversations with each other. Um, what about number three would be hospitality. Like, this kind of goes along with that, but invite somebody over. I, I think when we're, we're having to, um, you know, host people in our homes, we actually have to slow down and really find out what it really means to be human. We're listening to their stories. We're talking with them about um, things that may just be laughs and, and it may not be super deep, but we, we get to know each other in a way that we don't otherwise when we're just running around like chickens with our heads cut off sometimes. Um, the fourth one, money. Um, what if you were to, to use money as a way to mark how God has been with you? And so this might mean that you, um, you don't know, have family meetings where money is not something you just keep behind closed doors that you don't ever talk about? What if you were to be intentional with people that you covenant with? Um, if you have uh, friends or um, someone in your life that you, you, you just say, hey, I'm going to reveal a little bit about my financial situation and my goals and my priorities. Um, maybe if you have kids, you talk to them about why you go to church and why you give a tithe at church um, and what maybe your concerns or changes are. What if the way that we treated money was a marker of how God is with us by being intentional with it. Um, number five, awareness. Uh, I think raising your awareness about the plight of others in the world would be one way to say, hey, I'm recognizing how God's been alive and present in my life. So one of the ways that Janelle and I have uh, tried to do this is we support a um, couple kids through Christian Relief Fund, which is very similar to Compassion International. Uh, it's like less than $40 a month. And uh, when we were in San Diego, we actually had our, our youth group kids help us sponsor another child as well. And so it was fun working with them and talking with them about ideas about how to raise money for that. So, it, you know, you can use um, these ways to pray, to be intentional, to write letters, um, just to be more aware of what you have and what maybe others don't. Um, Speaking of prayer, number six, prayer. Don't, um, don't just relegate prayer maybe to like a before meals thing. What if you used it intentionally? Uh, maybe it's praying before you all go to school or work. Um, I heard a guy give his testimony about prayer that he was blown away when he realized he could let his wife pray and that they then started alternating. And so it was fascinating to hear this um, older guy share about this great experience that 10 or 15 years ago, now every day, they've been alternating who prays. And hearing his wife pour out her heart to God was a, was a transforming experience. I think about the same thing. Sometimes we fall into habits about who's gonna say the prayer or who's gonna do what. What if we alternated and, and participated in that or invited? I heard a, a friend who was part of an interfaith dialogue um, who had small groups with people of different faiths. So like um, people from uh, Muslim traditions or Jewish faith or um, uh, Hindus. And they actually would, every time they would allow, um, whenever they were at the host home, whoever's host it was, they participated in whatever prayer or ritual thing. And so when they were at their home, because they were Christians, everybody participated in the prayer together. And I think that sometimes we shy away from inviting our non-Christian or people who aren't of our same faith into our prayer time. But I don't think they're as offended by it as we may imagine. Um, the one, if you have a commute, um, my wife and I use the Praise You Go app. You can look it up, praiseyougo.org. And we just talk about it afterwards um, if we listen to it both um, that day. 
And so speaking of that, number seven, um, spiritual conversations. What if you were to read, you know, maybe a psalm or a, uh, a devotional book together? Maybe you covenanted with a close friend. Maybe they're even on Facebook. You know, talk to Jim about great ways you can do support groups. He does it with his um, Beachbody teams all the time. And accountability partners, you can, you can do it even when you're not face-to-face. You can have these spiritual conversations. What would it be like if we made this um, an intentional stone in our life. Um, okay, a no-brainer number eight, Bible reading. Maybe we all want to read our Bibles more, but my, uh, my invitation would be to say, this is meant to be read aloud. These were stories that were recounted often orally or um, shared by one person reading aloud for everyone else to hear. Um, the letters in, um, that Paul wrote were meant to be read aloud on a Sunday all the way through cover to cover. What if you were to find some people and say, well, I'm going to read the Bible, not just individually on my own, but I'm going to read it aloud. Um, uh, Discipline, number nine. Uh, What if you were to give up something you enjoy for a period of time? And Brian broke our bubble that 21 days doesn't fix it, um, that you actually need longer. And so maybe it's a a type of food or, you know, sugar. Um, I know I need to probably fast from that. Um, Maybe it's a TV show that you're hooked on. Um, maybe it's a subscription you have or a habit. Uh, what if you were to try fasting from that for three months and just say, I'm, gonna, I'm just not going to do that for three months? And it's been brutal. I've had to not shop on Amazon for th- almost three months. I'm two months into it. And I have to go to the physical store to get stuff now. Um, it doesn't just magically show up on my front door. But it's been a really a fascinating experience of paying attention, noticing God a little bit more in my, my life. Um, number 10, presence. Uh, I talked a little bit about this. Um, what if you were to be present with each other, not just alone together, right? So that might be, again, with your phone, putting it down. Um, if you're married, maybe you, you find an exercise routine to do together. Um, just create times where you have downtime to listen to each other rather than just being busy all the time. Um, and this goes for everybody, but... but um, you know, there's some great resources out on love languages and speaking each other's love language. Um, it's words of affirmation versus quality time or gifts or acts of service. It goes a long way uh, if you learn what people, maybe your boss or a coworker, um, needs from you to be present to them. And it may just mean that you have to step out, and even though you don't like writing the card, um, maybe once in a while you need to write them an actual note of encouragement rather than just being like, hey, good job. You know, you might be that quality time person that just loves the fist bump, but they might need the card. Um, okay, number 11, technology. I've already talked a little bit about setting limits on technology, but one of the ones that I've found really uh, helpful is to, to get a real alarm clock. And so push the phone uh, and have it charged in the kitchen or in the living room. It doesn't charge on my bedstand. It's not the first thing I look at when I wake up, and it's not the last thing I look at when I go to bed. What if you were to push that um, aside a little bit? And just in general, what if you were to create healthy limits so that technology was uh, a marking of how uh, you live your life intentionally before God? Um, and then 12, uh, I, I put this one on as church. And, and I wonder... For some of us, we consume church rather than contribute, and, and I think at a small church, it's, it's harder to do that, which is great. It's one of our blessings, is that we need each other. Brian talked about it last week, that even you just being here is really, really, really important. But maybe um, 
maybe being intentional with church means that you come more, more regularly. Maybe you make it a priority uh, than more than just a couple times a month. Or maybe that means you lead a ministry um, that you see a need for. And talk to Jim if you have um, a passion for something. We already have some open slots, but we have some more things, and we have plenty more if you're passionate about something. We want you to be able to use your gifts here. Um, or maybe you volunteer in a ministry you've never served in. Um, but what if you were to make church not just something you consume, but actually something you contribute to? The story of the crossing of the Jordan, as I said, is very, very similar to the Exodus um, story. And in it, though, God raises up uh, a person for the people to follow. And as Jesus was talking to his disciples um, in, uh, on the road to Caesarea Philippi, I think it is, um, he asked them this question about who people were talking about him as. And uh, they said, well, some people say you're John the Baptist, and some people say you're uh, Elijah or Jeremiah or one of the prophets, you know. And, and then Jesus looked at them and he said, okay, well, but what about you? Who do you say that I am? And Peter then says the good confession. He says that you are the Christ, the son of the living God. You're the anointed one. You're the leader that's been raised up now to be uh, the the one that we're to follow, the one that we're to obey. And so, um, as I said, the name Jesus is, is Hebrew for Joshua or Yahshua, which means the Lord saves. And so our leader is one who's raised up uh, to save us, and we're to follow him obediently, and that's where the fulfilled life comes from. You see, the, the chapter 3 of Joshua says that they were told to prepare themselves or consecrate themselves so that the Lord will do amazing things among you. And I wonder if these um, invitations for intentionality, these 12 stones that I've offered um, to you, might be ways that we can fulfill, uh, fill our container uh, to prepare our life uh, for God to show up and do amazing things. But there's not always going to be times where we experience every generation doesn't get, as I said, a Jordan River crossing. And so we have to have stories, we have to have things in our life that can remind us in the down seasons, in the time when we don't sense God's presence, that, that God is still with us. Um, so uh, I wonder when I preach about the fulfilled life that... Um, I've sometimes gotten on uh, Zillow and looked for houses, and uh, I wish that I could buy a house in L.A. Unfortunately, they're too expensive, right? So many of us are in that boat of apartment dwelling, and it's, it's, it's not that bad. But a lot of times when I hear Brian say the fulfilled life or when I read about people crossing over the Jordan into the promised land, in my imagination, I'm still an American through and through that, you know, you want your own land. You want your house, Right? And many times I want my house on the hill, you know, looking out over the Burbank Plains and um, the flats and stuff. Um, and it's beautiful. But it's not always the fulfilled life that Jesus brings and gives us. It's not always the big house on the hill. Um, I think I have this passage up in Matthew chapter 7 where Jesus has some things to say about a house. Um, he says, therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down and the streams rose and the winds blew and beat against that house, yet it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. 
But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. The rain came down and the streams rose and the winds blew and beat against that house and it fell with a great crash. So as Jesus is speaking to them, he's saying, the one who hears these words and puts them into practice, he's the leader that God's raised up. He's the one who's going to save. He's our Yahshua, the Lord saves. And he puts them, if you hear these words and obey them, you put them into practice, you're like a man who builds a house on the rock, on the foundation that's not going to fall. And so when the storms of life come, and I, I think about the couple that I um, new in, in Portland. It's life is so short. It's a simple car accident. And the rains come tumbling down. What we really want isn't the house on the hill. What we really want is the house built on the rock. And so as Jesus was asking that question of Peter, or of the disciples, Peter responded, you're the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus said to him, blessed are you, Simon, because you didn't get that from your own thinking or from other humans, you were given that revelation from God. And upon this rock, and he gives him a new name, he says, Peter, which means rock. And upon this rock, this confession that you've made that I'm the one who's gonna save you, um, I'm gonna build my church and the gates of hell will never prevail against it. So is your life built upon the rock of the confession that Jesus Christ is Lord? Because your life can be filled with all these really good things, or even some of the good things that I recommended um, could, be, could be good things for your container to have in them. But the truth is, you need a life that's built on the rock of Jesus as your Lord and Savior. Will you pick up your stone and declare that Jesus is the anointed one, the son of the living God who saves you? And so if so, Jesus invites you not just to hear his words, put them into practice. Um, so as we uh, continue and worship and sing our final song, um, I just want to let you reflect on that during this, this song. Um, it's a familiar one for you, 10,000 Reasons, and it's from a, a psalm. It's uh, an invitation to praise God for all the ways that God has uh, shown up in our lives. It recalls some, some ways that God has shown up. And so maybe in your life today, you, you need to just recall some of those moments that God has shown up. Maybe not in your life, but maybe in the lives of people around you and hear uh, the memorial of how God has shown up. But maybe you haven't built your house on the rock and you need to actually say, I'm going to live with intentionality and I need to proclaim Jesus as Lord of my life. And I think it will change what you do. I think it will change how you live, how you approach these things. Um, so just reflect... Uh, with this question again as we sing. Uh, will you pick up your stone and declare that Jesus is the anointed one, the son of the living God who saves you? And if so, Jesus invites you not just to hear his words, but to put them into practice. How do you need to put Jesus' words into practice today? Let's stand and sing.